0: use the bible so um we're in hebrews chapter 7 hebrews chapter 7 and uh, we're going to be reading from uh, verse 11 through to verse 19 so hebrews chapter 7 and uh, from verse 11 and that's on page 1205 uh, 1205 of the uh, blue church bibles And it's headed, uh, in my section, it's headed uh, Jesus like Melchizedek. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law... Must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So again, uh, we're into the book of Hebrews, um, some quite challenging and uh, difficult things to, to wrestle with and perhaps understand. Um, uh, I really hope that, uh, that God can help me with uh, Jane's prayer to be concise and understandable. Um, that's a bit of a challenge, but I'm sure uh, God, God can help us with that. Um, so uh, just reminding you from those that were here last week, or or just those that, that weren't able to come? Alex last week took us um, through the first section of uh, of chapter seven, when he started looking at uh, this the character of, of Melchizedek. I'm not quite sure if I've got the pronunciation right, but I don't mind. Um, Melchizedek, the priest. And uh, last week, you remember that that Alex said he was a king and a priest. Um, One whom Abraham came to and sought a blessing from and in response to that gave 10% of his plunder, his wealth, um, as a worship offering uh, to to this uh, priest. And we saw that, we heard from Alex that that, uh, Melchizedek was a a foreshadow of Jesus. Just uh, Jesus being the real thing, but Melchizedek just like a glimpse into the future of what Jesus was going to be. Jesus, uh, a king who leads his people and a priest who loves his people. And I love that phrase, a king who leads and a priest who loves his people. See, Jesus has blessed us, hasn't he? And uh, we've been worshipping and singing in response to that blessing that he's given us. And that response of worship um, Alex was teaching us should include everything about us including our finances because finances are a kind of a, a marker if you like, a, a guide to where our heart is where your treasure is, there your heart is also so if we give in our worship to God that's a, that's a good sign that we're, we're, we're worshipping fully and today we're going to, uh, to look at the next section of Hebrews, um, which outlines why Jesus, who is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, is therefore different and better than the Levitical priests, those that were um, assigned to be priests from Moses' day. So that's what we're, that's what we're going to look at. And we need to remember that the writer to the Hebrews here, he was um, writing to uh, Jewish Christians who were steeped in uh, traditions and the practices of the, the law and the old way of doing things. And uh, traditions are hard to change, aren't they? I came across this, this story. Um, and it said this, in, in 1903 someone noticed a Russian sentry standing guard at a post with no apparent reason for his being there. And when asked why he was standing guard there, he answered, well, I'm just following orders. And the question was asked of the the captain of the guard, but he didn't know what the sentry was posted there for either. And the inquiry went up the chain of command to the Tsar, but he didn't know either. And he asked that someone track down the answer, and finally it was discovered that in 1776, Catherine the Great had planted a rose bush there and posted a sentry to guard it. And the bush had been dead for over 80 years, but the sentry was still standing guard. Traditions are hard to change. And religious traditions are perhaps even harder to change because uh, people insist that, um, that, that God has ordained them and therefore they, they, they're, they're stuck in those ways. But here, so the Hebrew uh, writer, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to Christians who, uh, who were Jews and were steeped in all that tradition and the way of doing things. Uh, and yet he puts forward a really strong argument that the old way... Of doing things is to be set aside and through Jesus a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God the law was given uh, to the Jewish people by God through Moses uh, with the sole purpose if you like of of, uh, setting out clear boundaries of what was acceptable to God just like uh, when you, if you have children, you, you set out boundaries for them, don't you? You know, um, So they're clear. And the, the, the better and clearer those boundaries are, the better the children are. But yet we know um, that they break those boundaries and they won't always. They'll go over them and they'll, they'll fall short, won't they? And it's the same. God knew with his people that they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to um, keep the law. And therefore, he made provision for that through the priesthood, through the priests, who would help the people um, cover over their sin through sacrificing animal sacrifices, um, shedding the blood of animals rather than themselves to make up for their sin. But these animal sacrifices, they had to be repeated and therefore only um, offered temporary forgiveness. It wasn't a long-lasting uh, solution. So there's three things I want to draw out that the, uh, the author of the Hebrews is, is arguing here. Firstly, that the law and the old priesthood is set aside for something different. Secondly, that Jesus is the new priest in the order of Melchizedek, not based on tradition, um, not based on all the external factors that went with the Levitical priests, But based on the power of his resurrection. And as it says here, his indestructible life. His indestructible life. And thirdly, Jesus provides a better hope by which we can draw near to God. Verse 19. So firstly then, the law and the old priesthood. See, the law and the old priesthood couldn't actually save anybody. If we look at the beginning in verse 11, it says this. If, uh, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there then still a need for another priest to come, i.e. Jesus? Again, um, down in verse 18 it says this, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And in this context, I think perfect means uh, the condition by which uh, men and women uh, can be presented as acceptable to God. In other words, we're righteous, we're made right with God, that God who is Um, completely and utterly holy. And you see, the law can't do that for us. The law, if you like, is like a, a plumb line, dead straight, which showed how far the people strayed from what God wanted. It didn't have the power to save. It just had the power to show where they went wrong. It's like this, just to, uh, we talked a bit about, uh, Christy talked a bit about the Alpha course. Um, As just a little aside, the Alpha course is a great opportunity to come and to uh, ask questions, develop your faith more, uh, invite friends along that that haven't got a faith, but but would like to, are interested to find out a bit more. We we always eat together, first off, and uh, form a a great little group, or, or hopefully a bigger group, uh, where we get to know each other and we can ask all sorts of questions and explore stuff together and get teaching and, and build on things. And um, so you're all invited to that and, and I'm really looking forward to, to leading it. But just to borrow, one of the, Alpha uses a lot of illustrations and one of the illustrations in Alpha um, that is used is, is one that is helpful for us in understanding this. And Nicky Gumbel, who, uh, who wrote the Alpha Course, he says, uh, imagine a wall. So here, here we've got a big wall, say. And um, think about the uh, very worst person ever in the world. Who would that be? Think of somebody. And you would put them at the very bottom of that wall. So it might be someone like Hitler or As- 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 Osama bin Laden or whatever it is that comes to your mind Group people, really terrible tyrants, murderers. Right down at the bottom. And then maybe think of the best person that you've heard of or you know. Where would they be? Put them at the top of the wall. So, don't know, who would you think of? Maybe someone like Mother Teresa gave her life, you know, humbly serving and dedicating her life to serve others. And you put them at the top of the wall. So there's a big separation between people. And, and where, where would you be? Probably somewhere in the middle, wouldn't we uh, you know not we're not like Hitler, we're not as fantastic as Mother Teresa. we're somewhere in the middle, and we put ourselves there and then he says, well, imagine that the the target is not actually the ceiling, the top of the wall, but actually the target is the moon, and they're all way off the standard, because then the Bible says. For we all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Each one of us has sinned and fall short of that standard of God, that holy, holy God. And no matter how good we are, how middling we are or how bad we are, we are way, way off. Coming into the presence of a holy God. And the law just shows us how far off we are. If you've got your Bibles, just, just turn, to, um, turn back a little bit into Romans um, chapter 7. I'm going to pick into some of these verses just a little bit. It's quite a complicated argument from Paul here. But um, what, I, what I want you to do is just get a feel for it. Because Paul here is saying something that uh, we all feel at different times. So if you turn to Romans chapter 7, it's on page 1133. Uh, chapter 7 and verse 7, entitled in this Bible, The Law and Sin, he says this. He says, uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So if, if God hadn't said, these are the things I want you to do, you wouldn't then know if you'd gone wrong, right? Right? So this is what Paul is saying. And he gives an example. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. You know, wanting things that were elsewhere. And he goes on with this argument. And if you want, you can can read this through a little bit um, when you get home. And, And you can see that Paul gets himself into a a real argument here about wanting to do things but not being able to. If you look at verse fourteen, verse fifteen, this is this is this is how I feel myself quite often. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Do you ever feel like that? What you want to do, your good intentions, you don't do. You don't do it. But the things that draw you back, that cause you to sin, you keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So these are things that are good. You want to do them, but you can't do them. So there's nothing wrong with the law in itself. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Yeah, I want to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But I do the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, delight in doing what God wants. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Do you recognise that? You have things you want to do to please God and follow him and go all right for him. But you keep failing, you keep falling over. And there's other things that you know that you shouldn't do and you want to avoid, but actually it keeps on dragging you back. And Paul says this, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. That's how he feels. Because the law is showing him, if you like, this plumb line is showing him how far away he is. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That brings me on to the second point, then, doesn't it? So the law is to be set aside because it is, as it described, useless and weak. It can't save us. It can't get us right with God. As we've seen, if Paul the Apostle felt like that, how can we be um, any different? But Jesus is better. He's a better priest, a better way of doing things. You see, as it, as it sets out here in these, these verses that we read, it talks about the, uh, the Levitical priests. Now they were descended from Aaron, who was the first that, that Moses assigned to be a priest for the people. And they had, there were qualifications for them to become a priest. You had to be um, of that Lineage. You had to be descended uh, from the tribe of, of, of Levi. And, uh, and also, um, they had to be free from physical defects. The ceremonies for ordaining priests was also external things involving clothing them with priestly garments. Purifying them with water and with offerings and making sacrifices to get them right. That was the, the priest in the role in the line of Levi, the Levitical priests. But Jesus is different. He wasn't from that tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah, it says here, which Moses said, you know, didn't, didn't give any instruction about. If you remember the, the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 2 says this he had no beauty. Or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He wasn't a perfect specimen in that sense. He was perfect in the way that he lived. But Jesus is is better, is different and better in the order of Melchizedek. And he has that place Because of the power, it says, of an indestructible life. Verse 16. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation and his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Indestructible. It's a great way to describe Jesus, isn't it? Understand that this, as I looked at this, I understand from the commentaries that this is the only time in the New Testament that that word is used. And it's a great description. Jesus, who is eternal. Jesus, who was there at the very beginning of time. John 1 verse 4 says this, in him was life. He sacrificed himself, didn't he? And died on the cross for us. The grave could not hold him. When he died and went into that tomb, it says this, Acts 2, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He is risen and lives as our priest forever. Nothing can remove him from that office. He's risen. He's indestructible. Indestructible. Now I looked up what the the strongest material in the world is. And Google told me, may or may not be right, but Google told me it was something called graphene. Uh, And graphene apparently is a a material just consisting of a, a single layer of carbon atoms those that are interested in that sort of thing it's 200 times stronger than steel 200 times stronger than steel but lighter than paper amazing right but a recent study that Google also told me is that it has flaws in it it's toughness or the resistance to fracture is quite low it fractures Let me tell you, folks, Jesus is indestructible. He's as strong and stronger than that, but he will never fracture. You can hold on to him in the toughest of times, knowing that he's there for you. He's indestructible, and therefore a priest who is better. And thirdly, Jesus gives us a better hope. He gives us a better hope, it says in verse 19, because through him we can draw near to God. What the law cannot do, in other words, present us as acceptable to God, Jesus can and will do for those who believe. I love these verses from Ephesians 5, verse 27 onwards. It says this, it says, Christ loved the church. In other words, the church, who is the church? The church are the people who believe in him. And he loved us. He loved us and gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us by the the washing with water through the word. And to present us to himself without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Isn't that great? We no longer have to put on our makeup or wear our masks to cover up all the spots and blemishes that we have. We can come into God's presence because we are wearing, we're clothed with his righteousness. We are holy and blameless, presented without spot or wrinkle. Wouldn't you like to be like that? No wrinkles. Good stuff. Just let, uh, as we, and as we develop through Hebrews, we're going to be picking this up a bit more as the theme goes on. But, but just flick across with you to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Because there's just, uh, again, a, an emphasis here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We'll get into this in the future, but here's a, a little foretaste. It says this. Because Jesus presents us without spot or blemish. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what do we do? Let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised, he's promised to present us like that to the Father. The last time I preached, I ended up on, um, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And it says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We can come with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that fantastic? So. So. Applications then. Firstly, following the law, doing good things cannot save us. It's not that we don't need to worry about doing things. We still ought to to do what God wants us to do. But we don't have to strive in the fact that we want to get better and better to, to get ourselves right with God. Being ethical, helping others Giving to charity, giving to the church, going to church, praying, reading our Bible, all good stuff. It can't save you though. It can't bring you into that place where you meet with God. But we have that free and full salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't get weighed down by your failures. Come boldly before the throne of grace. It's exciting, isn't it? Secondly, Jesus is indestructible. Underline it, remember it. Whenever you're going through something tough, tough times, maybe a bereavement, maybe an illness, maybe someone's let you down, partner's been unfaithful, whatever it is, know this, Jesus is indestructible and completely faithful. A few weeks ago, Chrissy was talking about Him being an anchor for our soul, right? Hold fast. That anchor is an indestructible anchor. The rope won't break. The chain won't snap. The anchor won't be lifted out of the ground. Jesus is indestructible. He will not let you down. Hold on. Hold on. And thirdly, through his death on the cross taking our sins and his resurrection we have a new and better way giving us confidence that we can draw close to a holy god we have access to the father through the son and that's great because we need to draw on that and call on it just one further um, story Again, which I've borrowed from Alpha to close. It's a story that that Nicky Gumbel tells. He said this, I read of something that happened during the American Civil War. As a result of a family tragedy, a soldier had been given permission to have a hearing with the president because he wanted to request exemption from military service. But when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry. And he was sent away and he went to sit in a nearby park. And as he was sitting in this park, a young boy came across to him and just remarked about how unhappy he looked, how crestfallen he was. And the soldier found himself pouring out his heart to this young guy. And eventually the boy said, look, come with me. And the dejected soldier went back towards the White House. They went round the back and none of the guards uh, seemed to stop them. Even the generals and the high-ranking government officials stood to attention to let them pass. And the soldier was amazed. And finally they came to the presidential office. Without even knocking they went into the West Wing. The young boy opened the door of the Oval Office and walked straight in, and there was Abraham Lincoln standing there in conversation with the Secretary of State. And the moment they walked in, Abraham Lincoln, the President, turned to the boy and said, Todd, what can I do for you? And Todd said, Dad, Dad, this soldier needs to talk to you. And he had access to the father the President, through the Son. And that's what we have. It's a fantastic thing, isn't it? We have access to come and stand and talk with God in his presence, receive all the blessings and help in time of need. Access to the Father through the Son. Let's remember it and take that opportunity. Let's pray together.